Do any of you work with equipment that has to be recalibrated? Or have worked with equipment that has to be recalibrated? Yes? Okay. What happens if you don't recalibrate? It's not accurate. Or people die, right? Depending on what the equipment is. It's kind of serious. Last week we started talking about this. The community of Jesus must continually recalibrate. We didn't use that word. We actually used recenter. Community of Jesus must continually recenter on the gospel of Jesus. And we threw out a few big questions. Last week we looked at how are we to be led and examined Acts chapter 1 to see what God said about that. This week we're going to look at who are we. It's a big question. Who are we? It's an important question. And then in a couple of weeks we'll look at what story shapes us. So today, this idea of who are we, question of who are we. We're going to look at several passages, but our primary text is going to be 1 Corinthians 12. I'm going to read select verses from 1 Corinthians 12. So if you have a Bible, as always, I would encourage you to open it up because we're going to look at pieces of this, and you can have it in front of you. It will be printed up on the screen, but just as we're reading it. So once it's off the screen, you're not going to see it. So open up your Bibles if you got it, I would encourage you. This is God's Word to us this morning. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit, and there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one Spirit we were baptized into one body, Jew or Greek, slaves or free, And all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. And then he goes on to say, If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Lord, we need to hear what you have to say. We know these words were penned long ago through your apostle And they were very pertinent and relevant to the particular situation that he was speaking into. And yet, Spirit, we need for you to just as powerfully speak to us right now. Open us up to hear what you have to say. We ask this in your name. Amen. So, who are these people that Paul is writing to in Corinth? He calls them the body of Christ. That's what he calls them. What does that mean? Well, many questions may arise about who we are as a group of people, but also who am I in that group of people? Where do I fit in when we think about what a community like this might be? So how is it that you identify yourself? There's lots of ways that we tend to identify ourselves. For me, my primary identity is I am the husband of Fran Parsons, (laughs) right? That is my primary identity. Well, maybe. To, second to, only second to, I am the father of Jordan, Hannah, Abby, and Katie, and now my daughter-in-law, Jen. This is, this is like who I 
how I identify myself. This is my identity, right? I am also identified as a, a part of this particular group of people. I work here at Faith Church. I'm also a pastor in another denomination. You guys allow me to be here. They allow me to be here. This other group of people is called the Presbyterian Church in America. I'm also a graduate of Clemson University. Yes. Again, I get an amen, brother. And of Covenant Seminary. So why, why bring all these things up? Our identity is largely found in relationship. It's in connection to other people and other things. Who is this group of people that we call Faith Church? We want a unique vision. We want a unique culture, a sense of self. I know this is sometimes what, what we hear and what we talk about. That is often where people want to go. Who am I? How how. How are we distinct from other communities? How are we distinct from other churches, we may ask? And that is a conversation to have as we move forward. And it may even be helpful to have others come alongside to help us in that process. That's why the elders are talking about bringing in a transitional pastor, maybe to, to help us walk through this process. So this is all as we're listening to God, right? Because we have one senior pastor, right? What's his name? Jesus, yep, yep, you got him already, okay? So having said that, though we need to go through this process, I don't want to discount any of that. To do it well, we need to recenter on the source of our identity that is outside of ourselves. And today, to help us with this, I want to look at this sense of identity. I want to look at three aspects that Paul brings out, and they are this. Our connection to Christ with each other the manifestation of Christ in each other, and then the life of Christ for each other. So if we were to find identity in some way by who we're connected to, how does that actually work here? Well, Paul uses the image of the body. The body members are connected to one another. But how are we connected to a body? Well, it's kind of like being connected to a family, I think. So I have four kids. They are all connected as a family. They are siblings. Why? Why are they connected? Did they, did they choose each other? No. Why are they connected? Because Joey and Fran, mommy and daddy, they are connected much to their dismay as they were younger, right? They actually like each other now as they're older. Much to their dismay as they were younger, they were connected. They were part of a family because they had common parents. The church is connected to each other because we have a common parent. We have a common head. This is why we are the body of Jesus we are connected to him, and so, as a result, we are therefore connected with each other. That body is, in a sense, universal. So this is a big body. It's part of a new humanity, a new kingdom, it's a new family. We are all united because we share the same, as Paul said, spirit and Lord and God. What a great idea. Isn't this a beautiful image, a beautiful idea? What does it look like? though on the ground you can't be connected to everyone without being connected to someone meaning what sure we are part of this global community but that is made up of specific people who assemble together locally At the beginning of first and second corinthians paul says he's writing this letter to the church of galatia or in galatia church in, i mean it's corinth in corinth then also in Galatians, the beginning of Galatians, he says he's writing to the churches 
of Galatia. Okay, so Paul, which is it? Is the church one or many? Yeah, yes, it is both. The church is a community of communities connected to Jesus. We are not to be a part, we, we are a part of a particular community, but we are not to be exclusive in our understanding of that, right? We are not to be isolated from other church communities. It is good not to hold our particular family so tightly that we lose sight of the bigger family and the bigger mission of God, right? These are important things. But here's a caution. It's not a but, right? It's an and, We can go to the extreme and just wander, thinking and talking as if we belong everywhere, when reality we belong nowhere. Because we say we are just about the big church. I'm just a big church guy. You you may hear someone say that. With that, we are in danger of not building and investing in deeper relationships. If we become like a severed leg that says, look, I'm just for the big church. I'm for the big body without actually being attached to a particular body, we may lose our effectiveness and our life and our identity. That doesn't seem to even be an option in the New Testament. You are part of the church because you are part of a church, a community where we intersect life, where we invest, where we worship, where we build up and serve together, where we get dirty and we encourage and we challenge and we deal with hard issues together. Iron sharpens iron as the iron comes in contact with another iron. Ideally, where we can see each other face to face, where we can suffer together, we can rejoice in each other's progress Okay, and maybe there are people here that disagree with this. Maybe you struggle because you've had bad church experience. Totally get it, okay? I'm not saying what we call the church is necessarily what Jesus calls the church, but I am saying this. What Jesus calls the church, we need to be a part of. So let's think about what it is that he has to say. Why is this so important? Well, this is part of how we find our identity. It is true we are connected with each other because we are connected to Jesus, but we are We also grow in understanding our connection to Jesus as we connect with each other. It's hard to actually know him without connecting to each other. Some of us feel lost in relationship with him because we are severed in relationship with each other. I know it is often easier to think about doing the Christian life alone. I totally get it. If I could, I would go live up in the woods, okay? It's just alien to Scripture. God doesn't actually give us the option. This is convicting because I will be honest with you, I have a hard time with what we often call the church. I have for a long time. Maybe God is turning things upside down to reform His church. And if that's the case, it's not because He has given up on her, it's because He is so committed to her. Are we open to where he may lead us? I'm going to let that one hang. Are we open? Since Paul talks about this connection, he discusses here, and in much more detail throughout the rest of this passage and some other places, that there are manifestations of Jesus, or what he says here, manifestations of the Spirit, that he is working in us and then among us. So what are these manifestations? Well, verses 4 through 12, if you look there, 
There are varieties of gifts, he says. And after this, he gives a sample listing of them. We didn't read those. Gifts of wisdom and knowledge and faith and healing. Then he goes on to discuss a variety of services and activities or workings. So with these gifts that he gives, there are lots of ways to put them into practice. Think of all the different ways that you can serve someone with the gift of wisdom or teaching. I mean, just think of all the variety of ways of services and activities, how we can activate these gifts of service. Learning what these are and how to put them into practice is part of what we need to grow as a community. What are your particular manifestations of Jesus? Do you know what they are? Partly you learn them just by trying stuff. Like there's not some magic formula. There are gift inventories people will use. You can get them online, do a little test, and it'll say these are your gifts. Well, maybe they are. I don't don't know. They're they're helpful tools. You can use that. And 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 it's not a bad thing. But also, as a community living and serving together, we can naturally just help each other help each other identify what these are if we'll start looking at each other. We need to look at ourselves, but equally, if not more important, we need to come alongside each other to move beyond our preoccupation with self, preoccupation with our self-identity and our need for others to recognize us and instead encourage and recognize one another, which moves us toward the question, why are they given? For you to gain and build your own reputation and your sense of self. Is that what Paul says in verse 7? I want to give you these gifts so you can know who you are. Is that what he says? Nope, he doesn't say that. He says it's for the common good. It's for others. Individual members are not given gifts for the individual to whom they're given. It's for someone else. So if you are a doctor, and I understand if you're a doctor, you've worked hard. Spent a lot of money, right? But I'm going to say it was a gift, okay? You were, gift, you were gifted the education. You were gifted the experiences. You were gifted probably innate abilities, right, to be able to do this. And for what purpose? Well, a doctor may say, how often do I hear this? I'm going to law, I'm going to, well, I'm going to law school. I'm going to med school so that I can, right? I can make a lot of money. I can buy a big house, and I can have the car, and I can have security. Well, okay, I, a lot of doctors have a lot of money, and they do that. And Okay, that's perfectly fine. But is that really why you're a doctor? Is that why the gift has been given to you? I mean, what's the fundamental reason you've been given the gift of doctoring? To help and to heal others, not even yourself. Ephesians 4, where Paul's speaking about some similar ideas. So just jot that down. You can go back and look at it later. I'm going to read part of it, starting in verse 7. He says, But grace was given to you, to each one of us, according to the measure of Christ's gift. And he gave the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain a unity of faith and of knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure, the stature, the fullness of Christ, which he then goes on to say, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Okay, there's a lot there, but he's, he's building on what he already said in 1 Corinthians or what we read in 1 Corinthians. He's given these manifestations of the Spirit for the good to do what? To equip the saints, the members, for the work of service. Or to put it this way, to equip members to do Jesus stuff. Okay? I heard somebody else say that, and I really like that. 
to equip, equip the saints to do Jesus stuff and then to build up the body to live in Jesus' love. Okay? Where are we to live this out? Well, obviously, we're to do it. We use our gifts to build up the body, to serve the needs of the people that are sitting right next to us. We're given those gifts to serve each other. This is how we experience and show the community what community is supposed to look like and how we're to show each other what community is supposed to look like under Jesus, our head pastor, as we are centered around him. What does it look like? What does shalom look like? What does this peace that God wants to give look like? We are to do that with each other. So is that all for us to build ourselves up as a beautifully sculpted body for the world to look at and to marvel over? For us to feel good about our identity? I'm glad I'm, such, I'm part of such a well-maintained body. I mean, look at my love abs. Okay? I mean, it's... Is that what we are supposed to be about? Look at us. If we are the body of Jesus, we are representatives of what he is about. What does that look like? Of of course the body cares for itself, but Jesus wasn't primarily about caring for himself from what I recall, was he? I I don't think so. For God so loved the world that he gave his son, the son so loved the world that he gave himself, so that we could be given access to the Father and given access to the Spirit. Another helpful body text is Romans chapter 12. So I'm going to read a large section. Again, you can go back and read it more later. He says this, Paul says this, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we are many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. He goes on, let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another. And showing honor. And then, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty or associate, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably. Live peaceably, peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by so doing you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Paul's thought flow here, it, it, it's, it's interesting because it flows between being a body that loves its members and then without skipping a beat, it's a body that loves those outside of itself, even its enemies. You, did you catch that? It's all intertwined here. Where would he get such an idea? Where did Paul come up with such an idea? That's crazy. Jesus? <laughs> he gets it from Jesus. Jesus worked for the good of all, bringing healing, restoration, truth, love, not just for his close community, but for the broader community. And as a matter of fact, though he cared for his own and he spent significant time with his own, this is so true. 
Where and how did he spend most of that time? Serving those outside of them. He led his followers not just to care for each other, but for their neighbor, for the outsider, for the alien, for their enemies. That's what he did with them. If we are to be the body of Jesus in and for the world, where must we be living and spending time, I pose the question. That doesn't mean we don't look, spend time, we need to spend time serving each other, okay? I'm not discounting any of this. Paul isn't discounting that. He's saying that. We need this. Yet, if we are to follow Jesus, we need to go where he goes, individually, two by two, as groups of friends to befriend those outside of ourselves. Does that mean our focus is primarily on each other? No. Why? Because where's our focus supposed to be? Yeah, on Christ, and then we are to look where he is looking and listen to what he is saying. What does he say? Well, he says lots of things, one of which is in Matthew 5, if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Where is that for us? Where are we to be the body where maybe the body isn't very well represented more broadly? Where are you already? Here's drilling into it. Who are the people with whom you already naturally rub shoulders? Where do you see need that you have maybe gifts and abilities to serve that need? Not just for the body, but as a body for those outside of us. Where do we see that? Where are you in a school, maybe? Uh, are you a teacher, a baseball? I'm just going to throw stuff out there, all right? You've got to fill in your own blank. Are you a baseball coach, one who works in a, uh, a club? Or are you a, in a coffee shop? You work for a manufacturing company? W- what might it be for you? Where are you naturally that allows you to be this strange, strange aroma? Like, what, what is that smell? It's a good smell. What is that smell? Oh, where are we the strange aroma of Jesus? Where do we do the strange things? Where are we given opportunities to do the strange things that Jesus did? To treat the humbled and the hurt with respect. To work for the healing of the broken. To work for the good of a, of a company or a city or a school. Or maybe just to listen to the guy sitting next to you on the bar stool. Where is this? Where, where can we weep with those who weep and celebrate with those who are honored, even when maybe they're honored above us? That's a strange thing. Where might we bring little tastes of shalom, a peace that Christ is bringing to us? Where can we bring that? How are we to be motivated and informed and empowered to live like this? Because at times, this honestly seems impossible, doesn't it? Or am I alone in this? This seems like an impossible. All right, really? Bless those who, are per- who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. No, no, thank you. I would rather curse them. Okay? How do we get the power, the motivation to do this? Go back to our center, to the fundamental of our identity, which is what? Well, according to Paul, it is the life of Christ for each other. If we are to be the body of Jesus before we ever look at ourselves, or in, and as we do look at ourselves to figure out who we are, what our gifts are, what our services are, what our activities should be, 
We need to initially and continually recenter on the one whose name we carry. We don't first find out who we are by looking at who we are. We look at the one whose name we carry. This is Paul's underlying theme and his emphasis both in Corinthians and Romans, but then also Ephesians. And I'm going to read the section that I already read. This is in Ephesians 4. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gifts for you. All the attention is being directed to one spirit, one Lord, one Father, God, of all who is over all and personally present. How are we to know this magnificent God? Jesus. Look at Jesus. Live in your baptism. Okay, that's a really, oh, hyper-spiritual kind of thing. What in the world does that mean? Well, it means we are marked, we are rescued, we are washed, we are identified as his own. That's what he does for us. Baptism shows that. If we're turned to him, we belong to him. Our lives have been crucified and raised with his life. All right, and I know no one in here, as far as I know, has been crucified. If you did, he didn't kill you, okay? So it wasn't that bad, right? So what does that mean? What is the whole point of saying that if we haven't physically been crucified? It's an image that says we are no longer our own, nor do we have to save ourselves. Listen, this is freedom. We don't have to make a name for ourselves. We no longer have to prove our value. Why don't you have to prove your value? Because you've been bought with a price. Oh, there's your value. You don't have to prove it anymore. With that, his standing, Jesus' standing, his hope, his future is ours. This is his gift for us. If he is our hope and our future, then maybe knowing him, his life is how his hope and future are going to seep into our being and spread not only in us, but to us and through us to each other and then to the places that we touch. Because now as we go out, as he seeped into us, we touch things and people feel Jesus. His life is beautiful and controversial. It's full of upside-down teaching and living. He didn't just say, love your neighbor. He says, love your enemy. The one who the world says and my own heart tends to say, don't love, curse. Don't work for their good. Work for their destruction because they're bad people. He says, love your enemy. But he doesn't just tell us this. He lived it. When his enemies abused and mocked and executed him, he opened not his mouth except to speak words of truth and forgiveness. Jesus is God's rescue for us. He is our way, truth, and fullness of life. If he grows large among us and sinks deep into us, we will more and more both connect with each other And then also manifest him to each other and to the world. When he is our identity, we learn the uniqueness of who we are. You get that? We want to, who are we? Know him. Know him. I want to close with a prayer that's an adaptation from Eugene Peterson's The Message, the Bible, his paraphrase. 
of part of Ephesians 4, okay? So let's pray. Father, please grow us into a body until we're all moving rhythmically and easily with each other, efficient and graceful in response to your son, fully mature adults, fully devoted and developed within and without, fully alive like Christ. No prolonged infancy among us, please, Lord. Spirit, help us to grow up, to know the whole truth and to tell it in love. Like Christ in everything, we take our lead from Christ, who is the source of everything we do. Lord Jesus, keep us in step with each other. May your very breath and blood flow through us, nourishing us, so that we will grow up healthy in God, robust in love. In Jesus' name, amen. It struck me during the service with the choir up here. I grew up around choir, so the church that I grew up in had a choir. I didn't like it. (laughs) That's horrible, I'm saying that. I love it. And there's something about, and, and, it's, and it's what we do here as a, as a body, right? But it's also like watching them watch Jesus in unison, seeing their different parts. That is such a beautiful image of what he is inviting us into. That honestly, the world is longing for. The world is longing for the choir. <laughs> May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Let us go forth to serve the world as those who have been loved by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, amen.